This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com and the Big Change Program with Josh Lajani. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live a sane and supported life. Hey, two quick things before today's episode. First, if you are heading into Thanksgiving, and as I record this, it's Tuesday, two days before Thanksgiving 2017, and you're looking for some guidance, there's an article that I wrote for VegWorld News, which is now publicly available on their website, and it's all about gratitude. And it's all about not what we're going to eat or what we're not going to eat or how we're going to talk to Uncle Dave about protein or how we're going to feel when the pie comes out and we've told ourselves we're not going to have any. But it's about the bigger picture, the larger context of the holiday and of the emotion and practice and attitude of gratitude. And you can find that. Here's the quick link, plantyourself.com slash grateful. That's G-R-A-T-E-F-U-L, as in the Grateful Dead. Plantyourself.com slash grateful will get you there. You don't need a subscription to the magazine. You can just read it, enjoy it, leave comments, let me know what you think. Second thing is, this is the part of the podcast where if I had sponsors, I would be telling you all about my sponsors. I would be telling you about mattress companies, website hosting, uh, razor companies, custom furniture, you name it. Now, I have nothing against the sponsorship model of podcasts. There's a bunch of podcasts that I listen to that are advertising supported, and I'm grateful that they exist. And I know that if people had to pay for them, they probably wouldn't exist. But that's not how I'm doing things, which means the podcast only has two actual sponsors, me and you. So I sponsor the podcast with my time, with my money, with my energy, which, of course, means that I'm not beholden to any corporate interests to toe a certain line, to avoid certain subjects, to stay away from controversy, anything like that. I can do whatever I want. And if you appreciate this stance of uh, journalistic independence and you would like it to become sustainable, then you can contribute by going to patreon.com, searching for Plant Yourself, and making an ongoing contribution so that every month I know that there's going to be money in the coffers to pay for hosting, to pay for equipment upgrades, to pay for the books that I read in preparation for the interviews, and to help defray some of my time costs. And when you do so, you get the opportunity to be thanked and my breathless gratitudes at the end of each episode. And you also get access to the Healthy Habit Huddles, my 3x a month um, small talks on how we can live healthier, happier more productive, and more resilient lives. Okay, so let's get to this week's episode. My guest is Sid Garza-Hillman. It's a three-peat for Sid. He was on with Matt Fraser talking about uh, their coaching program. Then he was on uh, earlier this year, uh, Plant Yourself Podcast number 215, talking about act- achieving behavior change through pleasure and positivity. And he's back because he wrote a new book that was just released called Raising Healthy parents. And the subtitle is Small Steps, Less Stress, and a Thriving Family. So this book has one huge problem, which is that it came out about 21 years too late for me to be able to go back in time and do a whole bunch of things differently that I would have done differently had I access to Sid's wisdom. But if you are a parent um, and you have kids in the house who still you know, you can influence in some way. Or if you know anyone who's a parent, this is a fantastic book. 
And when I asked Sid specifically about like why he wrote this and you know what's wrong with all the other parenting books out there, and we'll get into this shortly in the interview, his basic idea was it's, there's nothing wrong with any of those other books, but this is the pre-step. This is to allow ourselves as human beings to be stress-free and strong and healthy and nourished and balanced enough so that we can implement whatever parenting strategies feel right for us. So Sid is, as always, a hoot. We have a lot of fun. We laugh. I think we swear. So I think this is a not safe for certain types of work environment podcast. Um, but I think you'll really enjoy his insight, and I know you'll love his book. So without further ado, Sid Garza-Hillman, welcome back to the Plant Yourself podcast. Uh, it's nice to be here, a, re- a return guest. That's, uh, that's an honor. Yeah, well, you clearly, you know, wiped your feet and cleaned up after yourself last time. So uh, here we yeah, are the, again. Yeah, I made the bed. The corners of the sheet were nice and, and firm. And I think that's what drew you to get me back here. It is that that in the book you just sent me. Uh, oh, raising, raising Healthy Parents. And uh, for those of you who are who are listening, we're trying a, uh, a video Skype call as well. So if this goes well, you can uh, you can see our, our shiny heads on on, uh, on YouTube. Um. <laughs> So you wrote this book called Raising Healthy Parents, Small Steps, Less Stress in a Thriving Family. And my first question is, what the hell were you thinking? Yeah. Why, <laughs> why, or I, what I mean is, why this book? Why did you want to write a book on parenting? Well, it's, it's not, we'll probably get into this, but it's not really a parent, as you know, it's not really a parenting book per se, like here's how you parent your kids. But, but my work with clients and and the 12 week program program I have going on now all of a sudden it was a lot to do with family I realized and and I'm a, I'm a father of 3 so I in in my overall approach and philosophy I thought boy there there all the parenting books out there the thousands and there and there many of them are great just like diet books but is there something that says regardless of how amazing this advice is of how you should you know, talk to your children and get them to do homework, is there something that, that coaches the parents on how to get themselves to a place where they can implement whatever parenting style they want? Is there, is there something out there that helps people get healthy and happy enough in their own lives so they can be the parents and the people they, they want to be for their kids? And, and it just kept coming up. And I thought, this is like exactly what I want to put out there right now. Like it just, I just see all these parents putting their lives on the back burner for the sake of their children. And I think it's at the expense of, of a, of a thriving family. Reminds me a little bit of, um, decades ago when my nieces were very young, my sister would buy all the sibling without rivalry books and she, they ended up on a shelf. She called fiction section. (laughs) That's excellent. That's so good. So, yeah. So yes. So um, I, I mean, I guess that, that sort of half answers the question. Is like what, the obvious title is raising healthy kids, and you didn't choose that. So ra- you know, raise you don't raise parents, but um, there's there's some like, deep truth you wanted to get at. I assume with that title, what what was it? The deep truth is that 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 the example we set in in every regard and in, in with with whomever we influence the example we set is first and foremost so yeah the 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 common sense thing would be like oh raising healthy kids and and i just said you know what it's really not about the children it's about the example you set for yourself and it's about 
to make sure, making sure you, that you don't get lost in the family dynamic such that you can't be the parent that you want to be, however parent that, whatever kind of parent that is. And so raising healthy parents is like, it's really not about raising healthy kids. It's about, that's weird, a little feedback. That, that, that was, that was my electricity shutting off except for the, uh, oh, how funny. the, 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 the um, battery backup. So hopefully that was just a little glitch. Yeah. Okay. I heard that. Um, yeah. And so anyway, the idea is raising healthy parents is like, it's the, you know, the twist on the, on the title is a healthy family is mostly dependent on healthy parents. Uh, and that goes for happy too. So that was the, that was the, uh, I, I'm a little, I had a little bit of a panic when the book hit the shelves because, uh, some portion of people walk by if they see that, like I've been speaking at VegFest a lot recently and they'll walk by and go, Oh, I should, my parents aren't that healthy. I should get this book. And I'm like, no, it's not for, oh. it's not for your parents. It's for you as parents. So most people overwhelmingly get it, but it was just sort of like, if you read the subtitle of the book, then you get kind of get it. But just at first glance, they're like, I should get this. My parents are unhealthy. I'm like, your parents are not your problem. Your kids are your concern, you know, whatever. So anyway. Right. I think that's my next t-shirt. Your parents are not your problem. Yeah, it's true. People go, and, yeah, my parents, I'm like, you're, tw- you're, you're 30. Don't worry about what your, your parents are doing. You know, like really it, it's a hard, like take care of yourself. But if you have kids that are, that you're responsible for, okay, now let's talk about the philosophy of this whole thing. Right. Now I was going to get the shirt for my kids, but. Uh, oh God. I, yes. I see what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. You should get the shirt for their kids. They already feel that way anyway, but you should verbalize it on a shirt for sure. All right. So I'm curious, you know, the, the act of writing a book is in some ways uh, a stake in the ground, an act of rebellion against something. Uh, at least I, I feel that way. So I'm, I'm curious, like, what's the worst well-meaning, right-sounding parenting advice that you see evidence of in the people you work with and in culture in general? Like things that, you know, we kind of take for granted, like, yeah, that makes sense. And we may not even articulate it, but it comes out in the way we parent. What's the, what's the bad advice that you're sort of trying to correct? I don't know. If, I don't know if I, you know, I did, I did some research when I was getting ready to write my book and I bought some, some sort of straight up parenting books, like do this and communicate with your child this way. And there's some things I agree with, some things I don't, but my, my interest in writing this book really wasn't, uh, a reaction to anything. It was more like whatever parenting book, whatever parenting book you buy, whatever parenting style makes sense for you that appeals to sort of your personal ethic and, and whatever you do that better when you feel better in your own life. And, and that really was my thing. It was like, I, I here's what's my, fr- if you want to know what like my frustration is, my frustration are is things like when I'll kind of swing this back to food, because obviously that, you know, my primary work is as a nutritionist or was before I started doing small step stuff, but all these top 10 lists, if you know, top 10 best superfoods, uh, you know, eat these foods every single day. This is the list of this thing. And nothing in there says two things. One, you're not going to die if you don't have this every single day. If you miss some days, you're going to be fine. And the second thing is, Oh, here's the background of how you get to the place where you can start to incorporate these kinds of things into a habit long term. So the marketplace sort of throws these things out here. 
a friend of mine recently was reading a book. He didn't even know about my book. And it was like seven ways to communicate with your teenager. And, and again, they may be amazing seven ways, like the best seven ways in the history of mankind. But if you're walking in the door stressed, fatigued, and pissed because of your job and you're not doing the things in your life, then how are you to expect yourself to be able to communicate in a very reasonable, uh, calm way to follow this advice with your teenager? And so I just thought, let me get behind about three steps before we start implementing a parenting style and say, what if, what do we need to do to be, to be able to implement it effectively? And that was, that was my, I got, I you know, I, I realized I really want, I really felt passionate about jumping in on that level. Right. So, so it's sort of like, you know, reading all these books on smart investing when you have no money. Yeah, or yeah, totally, or no time to watch the market and do all the things, you know, like it's, I was I, I cited recently in my podcast I, early on with my book when I, I realized I needed to do things like, oh, I don't know, promote because I just had no idea about anything about that. And so I took a marketing course and uh, online I was like, I should probably, you know, I've got clients. I should probably try to do like be an effective marketer. And I think what I wanted deep down was what probably most people want when they go to like a diet or a quick fix kind of thing, which is I wanted somebody to give me the magic bullet. Like you don't have to do much just do this little thing and then all of a sudden clients are going to come in and book sales are going to come in. And what I realized in taking this course is the advice was fantastic, but it took me working my ass off. It, there's just no substitute for that. You have to do the work to implement whatever tools you're learning how to do. And I just thought, you know, parenting is no exception. You still have to do the work on yourself to effectively parent. And, and that was the, you know, so likewise with investments, like all the investment advices is, is in the world, it may be fantastic, but if you don't have the time to invest in, in that model, then you might as well not partake in the first place. So the, the first thing I read in the book was the first line of Matt Fraser's um, introduction or preface, mm -hmm. um, which I loved. And it says it's, it's easier than ever to be a parent these days, just as it's easier than ever to nourish ourselves with food. Mm -hmm. And that really struck me because then he's talking about like, you know, iPads in your car and yeah. and all the conveniences that we we now have as parents. And I, you know, every day I go out in the world and I see kids on iPhones and tablets and I think, thank God my kids are too old to have done that because yeah. I would have totally like I would have totally given it. And I know you, you in, in your work, you, you know, it's approaching the natural and humans are animals. What do you see in terms of our society that makes parenting both easier than ever and also less natural than ever? Yeah, that's a, that's a, I hate, I hate when I, I'm going to say what I'm going to say. And I hate when people say this in interviews, but that's an excellent question. Um, <laughs> that's a, so I fell in, fell into that trap anyway. Um, <laughs> So, well, I'm going to so, make I'm going to make a greatest hits of, of everyone who's ever said that to me. Yeah, and just yeah, play I, it on repeat. That's like a pet peeve of mine. I swear to God, when I hear something, that's a great question. It's like, God, why do you say that? But I had to say that because it, it really was a good question. Anyway, um, <laughs> so so um, when Matt wrote that, when I, when he sent in the the preface, the forward, um, I, it took me aback because I was like, No, it's not. And then I realized really what he's what he means, and it's actually quite a brilliant statement. If you look at the basic idea of what parenting is. Baseline, just baseline is protecting our children, keeping them safe and keeping them alive and raising them long enough where they can fend for themselves. I mean, that's sort of the basic idea. We are in charge to make sure their safety is secure and that we can put them into the world with whatever tools they need. The model in the modern world, which is incredible, is, is our children 
for the most part are safe and it's easy it's very easy to 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 do that in it, for most people in the modern world it's still there's dangers out there but it's in general it's pretty amazing um keeping your kids safe i i cited recently an atlantic article about how because of the use of social media and the tablets and the phones teenagers are safer than ever before. They're actually physically safer than ever before, and yet rates of depression and suicide are on the rise. And that speaks to sort of the natural part of my approach, which is approaching the natural, which is it's no longer about actual like predators chasing us. It's no longer about knowing which foods in, on the ground are poisonous and which ones aren't. Now it's a deeper, more subtle kind of danger. And when you put your child in front of a tablet all the time, there are ramifications for that that are well beyond the sort of, are they safe or not? And so when Matt says it's easy to parent, it is easy to pull off general safety for our kids easier than ever. It's easier to, we have access to food. It's the McDonald's is super cheap. We can feed our kids really easily and we can, and, and we can keep them busy and safe. But that doesn't mean we're thriving as a family, and sometimes it means the opposite. And so when it comes to the approaching the natural, it's like how do we get back the things that, that allow us as human, as a human animal to thrive? And that means, in my opinion, is, is limiting the time on tablets and things like that. And again, I talk about this a lot in the book, which is the reason why tablets are so successful is because parents can come home from a busy day and they don't have to really deal with their kids on that level and they're exhausted. So it's like, put them in front of a TV, man. It's the easiest thing in the world. This isn't even about tablets. This is television since 1948. Like it's a great babysitter. And I don't think that that does a good job for us as families. I think it's fine in the day to kind of get, allow you to have some peace and quiet, but it's not a good model long-term. So I guess when you're talking about, you know, our own well-being and our health, the more depleted we are from our own lives and our lifestyle, the less there is of us to give to our kids in, in, any, in any sort of sense. Absolutely right. And, and, and it's like if you look at the effort it takes for and i'm a parent so it's like I, I really had to make sure that people like and when i do talks now like the one of the first slides is to show that i have kids because it's not <laughs> like i'm sitting here going by the way you should totally try this out you know but i have kids and so the struggles are very real for me and 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 and, and i am in my own practice with this i'm i'm definitely not perfect i'm growing in my own parenting and everything else so is my wife um but it's it is very tough and so it totally makes sense that after a long day of work and you're tired and exhausted, maybe stressed because of finances and maybe marriage. Who knows all the things that we have to deal with. So now you've got this model where you come in and you are depleted. So what is easier than not having to deal with the kitchen and, and cooking and preparing and cleaning but to run through fast food? Done. Easy. It's fast. It's cheap. Your kids are fed. Then when you get home, you're exhausted and you just want to freaking open a beer and watch a television show. So What's easier than this tool that we have to put them in front of the uh, the iPad or the uh, or the or the cell phone or the TV? And so, yeah, absolutely. When we're depleted, we don't have as much to give. But but having more to give is to me that's the success of a family is having enough to give where you actually can be the parent that you want. I I argue it's the parent we really want to be. But we're, most of us are freaking tired at the end of the day. We just can't pull that off most of the time. So I had my health epiphany, or one of them, in 2004 when I read the China study. And um, my son was five, just turning five. My daughter was eight. And 
I decided, you know, I suddenly came home and instead of seeing like, you know, the McDonald's arches, I saw the skull and crossbones. And I just became the kind of dad who just wanted to knock everything out of their hands. Mm-hmm. And of course, my, my wife wasn't where I was. Mm-hmm. And so what I, what I discovered is that from being depleted myself from the way I was eating, that now trying to change everybody ended up making me not only more depleted, mm-hmm. but it caused all sorts of um, issues and battles and anxieties that frankly have ramifications to this day. And That's right. So. So I'm wondering, you know, so someone who's listening to this presumably knows what to eat if they're if they've been a long time listener to either of our podcasts. Uh, you just froze up, so I turned off my camera. Okay, I'm going to turn off my camera too. Because uh, wh- why should you have all the fun? Exactly. I heard you say ramifications. That was the last thing I heard. Yeah, it's a big word. Yeah, um, <laughs> I had to look it. Up. Luckily, you froze because I just looked it up. <laughs> it's a it, it means what happens when you drive a really big dodge truck um, oh wow nicely done so um where the hell were we <laughs> uh you said that, that, that you that yeah that, that um that, that it had you know i said that w- the way i poorly tried to transition my family to healthy eating including myself in 2004 had ramifications that still continue in terms of you know, issues around eating food, battles, family control. Like I did a terrible job and I'm wondering what, you know, had I had your book, what might I have done differently than like be this sort of, you know, cosmic um, velociraptor knocking unhealthy food out of my family's mitts all the time? Yeah. I mean, what you might've done differently and, and what I dress I mean, absolutely head on. And this, this comes up a lot in, in, in just what I talked about recently, which is this kind of knowledge problem. Um, and I think you and I saw this when we were in Marshall, Texas, but there's this thing of like, once you know something and you maybe did the reading in, in which you did China study, I did that too. But then there's this problem of now, you know, this, and if you are not in check, you may try to implement it in a way that is, in this case, exactly what happened to you, debilitating to the family dynamic. It, it causes great upheaval. Most of my book, aside from the philosophy and the ideas of it, is implementation via my small steps approach, which is to say, just because you know now, you still have to be the parent that you want to be, which is how are you going to parent your kids? And I think that in in retrospect, looking back, you probably would have done it differently if you'd said, just because I know this, I'm not the kind of parent who's going to just knock things out of my kid's hand and expect 100% change overnight. I still have to make sure that I maintain health and ha- general health and happiness and, and, and the lowest stress environment as I can. So let me implement it in this way and let me talk to the family and let me talk to my spouse and say, Maybe we start doing this, this, and this, you know, whatever those things are for you. Maybe we make one, you know, healthy meal per week and we sort of start to try to, you know, introduce new foods or whatever that is for you. But that, that is the goal of my book, which is just because you know something. But the problem is, is people sit through these lectures or they, you know, they finally read some, you know, a, a, a amazing book and then they feel 
either two things, one militant and rigid that they can never make a mistake now on from now on, or two, when they do make a mistake, they feel shame and guilt or there's upheaval around it because they made the change too abruptly. So, um, yeah, so I mean, that's, that, that's the goal in the book is they, okay, now, you know, and it's not just about food, it's everything. Now, you know, okay, now let's start the real work, which is how do you try to implement this in a way that is going to create long-term change and not create burnout. Mm-hmm. So as, as I think back, the question that I had in my mind that I was trying to answer with this food militancy was sort of, what kind of kids do I want to have? And I wasn't asking the question that you recommend in the book, what kind of parent do I want to be? Or, you know, or who, who am I as, at my best as a parent? Yes, can, right. Can you, can you talk about that? Yeah, because, I, because, because the thing is, is you can ask the question, what kind of kids do I want? my kids to be, but I'm still going to say that's dependent on you as a parent. And so the, I think what, what happens is, and again, this is just a natural offshoot of my, of my practice with, and you do similar work with, with clients helping them, you know, to be healthier and happier, which is the one thing I want people to ask on a personal level is what is my ideal life? Like what is really, what am I trying to do in, in my life? Um, what kind of life do I want to live? Um, who I am ideally, these kinds of things. Then to start to try to implement steps to become that more and more each day. In the family dynamic, we get so swept up when we have kids that we're just like all of a sudden it's just, it's all, everything's out. And now it's just kids and soccer games and school and meetings and all these things that, that I'm doing. And we never stop to say, what kind of parent am I truly deep down? Like really what kind of parent am I? Regardless of how I was yesterday even, regardless of how I was 20 minutes ago, who is the real me down here? Okay, now let me try to do steps in my life to make that person come out more each day because that is the challenge. And so that's the you know that's why I want parents to ask that question, which we never seem to have time to ask, which is who am I as a parent really? And I think in your context with your kids, if you had asked that question like, what kind of parent am I? You may have answered, I'm not the kind of guy who knocks food out of my kids' hands and expects this kind of change. That's not who I am. I'm acting this way, but it's in conflict with who I am truly. Mm. I'd like to think that. And um, if I'm being totally honest, there was a lot of me as a parent that was quite an accurate reflection of my state of maturity and ego health at that point, which I, you know... I, I look I look back on with some embarrassment, if not if not shame. And like for, you know, we all we all do things as we have, you know, demons or reasons or, or whatever. What what in your approach could have helped me sort of you know soften up? Uh, I'm not sure I'm not sure if the question makes sense, but there there are there were ways in which I was just a judgmental asshole. And so being a judgmental asshole as a parent was not that that far a stretch and that it, it it took a lot of inner work for me to 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 soften and be okay with uh, with among other things people seeing that my kids didn't always eat perfect yeah well first of all i've been there too and second of all um i think how i see it is that we are often defined we, we, we self-identify by what we do. And here's what I mean. You know, you're, you, you, you're at that time, you're, you know, like you said, judgmental asshole and you're, and you're harsh and you're whatever. And so to, 
in your mind, you go, that's just what I do. I mean, that's who I am. Similarly, when I work with people, like they come to me and go, I'm a binge eater. I'm an overeater. I have no self-control because they're using the actions of their past to say, this is who I am. And I call that into question. I go, wait a second. What happens if I, we play a game and the book is called the first task because I have no imagination, but you'll notice in the book, there's like a couple pages of lines to literally write this down. The idea is what if I stripped your knowledge of how you've been acting? So even at that time, Howard, I would say to you, you don't even know that you're a judgmental asshole. You don't even know that you are expecting your kids to eat 100% healthy. You don't even know that you're embarrassed if somebody sees your kids eat less than healthy. You don't know anything about how you've been living. Okay, now, but I do tell you, Howard, you're the ideal parent. Right now, you don't know the reality, but you know that you're the ideal parent. Okay, what does that look like? And you write that down. You write it down in, in present tense, not like I will become, but I am. And so I'll use a personal example. Uh, there's some days where I have a crappy day at work. It happens and I walk in the door and I'm kind of irritable and I'm in a sort of in a bad mood. And when I, when I, when I come in the door and with my kids, I'm not really with them. I'm kind of irritated and they're like, they want to talk to me. I'm like, listen, I, I just have stuff to do. I gotta, you know, I'm kind of in that mode. And, and I could say that that's who I am, or I could say, you know what, that's actually not who I am. I don't feel good when I do that. So then I can say, okay, well, then who I really am as a parent is a guy who walks in the door and lets that other crap go, leaves work at work and walks in and is with his kids and his wife in a very present and, and their way. Then I can say, okay, that's actually who I am. Then I can say, okay, what steps can I take to become that guy more often? So I guess my question to you would be, at that time, were you just like, yeah, not only am I like this, but this is how I want to be. Or did you ever feel crappy about it in the moment? Like, was there any conflict for you in the moment? In which case, then that's just where you were at that time and you've evolved past it. Yeah, it's interesting because the thing that really resonated, gave me a little chill when you said it was, that's not who I am, semicolon. I don't feel good when I do that. And the way I heard that was, I know that's not who I am because I don't feel good when I do that. That's right. That's exactly right. 100%. And I think that's that was a missing piece. I think that's a missing piece for most of us because we. I think there's, in our culture, as much as we're all hedonic, we have this fear of if we're feeling good, that means we're doing something wrong. We're sinning in some way. And you just told me that the feeling good in some in some respect is the litmus test of if we're if we're being our best self. Yeah, I do. I think I think I, I describe it as feeling. You know, you it's like a you know, you get into a confrontation with somebody and there's, let's say, and most of the time we, we don't say the thing we really want to say. And afterwards we go, man, what I should have said was, and that would have been, but then sometimes there's a time where you actually react exactly the right way. And I'm sure that's happened to you. Like it doesn't happen to me often, but sometimes I'm in, I'm in such a good place when something happens like this, where I actually say the words that I actually want to say, and it just feels right. It's locked up. It is, a total manifestation and reflection of me as a person. I, I happen, they happen to catch me in the right place and right frame of mind where I, my response is just where I want it to be. This happens probably one out of every hundred times, but when it does, it's just awesome. And the reason why it feels so good to me is because it, it, there is con, there's no conflict there. It's exactly the expression of me when I'm in the right of sound mind and body, they say, but when I'm in that kind of place and I can deliver a reaction that is really reflective of who I am. That goes for parenting too. So do you, I mean, I'll ask you just because I'm curious at that time when you made the shift in your own 
food and everything else would, you know, based on the China study, were there moments of conflict? Do you remember thinking like, God, I'm kind of an asshole. Like, I, I, I don't like, I just like, do you feel, do you, do you know? Um, I don't think I was that self-aware. I know I, I felt bad, but I was really good at blaming them. Right. So I, I was, I was, um, you know, riding on the fumes of self-righteousness for, for quite a long time. And I wonder if you had did, done the writing exercise, you know, I just, I don't know. I'm not going to say my book's going to solve everybody's issues, but there is a certain amount of self-awareness uh, goal with the book, which is in the co- context of parenting, obviously, but there is a goal there to say, take a few moments because d- despite what you may have been doing, like I do this with, like I said, with clients who say I'm a binge eater. And yet when they do the first task, they say, they write often, I have a healthy relationship with food. The thing is they don't want to be binge, a binge eater. They might have defined themselves that way and they might feel but, – but the fact is they feel bad about it. They're coming to me because they don't want to be a binge eater. Well, if they're coming to me because they don't want to be a binge eater, I say, then you're actually not a binge eater regardless of how you've been behaving. So let's get that person out because that person is hidden and is not being expressed in your life. So let's, let's figure out how to get that person out, not change you from being a binge eater to not being a binge eater, but simply realizing you're not one because you feel crappy about it and you don't want to be it. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't lock up with who you are. And then I just simply said, okay, well, what does that look like in the parenting realm? Because I think that's what's missing. We we feel crappy because we lose our temper with our children and we beat ourselves up and we cause ourselves more stress about those kinds of things instead of saying, hey, that's not who I am. Let me take even greater steps to avoid that most of the time in the future. Right. I, I, I certainly wasn't proud of myself a lot of the time. Um, and at the, at the same time, I, I think I lacked self-awareness and I think those exercises would have helped. The other thing I think I lacked was faith that another way was going to work. So, you know, shortly after reading the China study, I read the pleasure trap and mm-hmm. I began to personify these junk foods, these hyper palatable foods as addictions and like I said, the, I saw the skull and crossbones. I saw like, you know, I would rather get into a fight with my family every single day than feed them cocaine. Right. And so so I didn't I didn't have faith that there was a way that was going to work that didn't involve strong arm. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know what to tell you except to say um, that that. I think we can both agree looking back that there's bigger issues, way bigger issues than food and food alone. And I, you know, while I completely agree with you on everything you just said, and and I still look at the junk food, I call it technology. Now I call animals we raise for food and and refined processed plants. I just refer to as technology now because I don't, I don't even (laughs) think we should put it in the food realm anymore. And then we can say, okay, it's technology. So I'm going to use it in a limited basis, the way that I would use any other kind of technology and kind of see where that fits. Um, obviously in the animal food realm, I don't do that at all for non-nutritional reasons, you know, but, but in terms of refined processed plants, it's used minimally as technology is. My point is, is that you can try to strive for this militant hundred percent healthy diet, whatever you think that is. But the fact is, is you're not going to be a hundred percent in every place in your life. You're, you're still going to do unnatural. You can try to be a hundred percent natural in food, but you're still, if you live in the modern world, going to be unnatural in a multitude of different ways. And I think that most of us these days put too much, too much energy into food and trying to whatever, you know, achieve this kind of thing with the oil free and the, you know, the whole madness. 
Um, and I, the thing is, I don't disagree with it nutritionally. I'm just saying if it doesn't fit in your life in a balanced, happy, joyful way, then you're probably causing you and your family upheaval that is not helping anybody and especially not your kids. Right. So, um, you know, and, and so having discovered, you know, your small steps approach, there is, there's, there's a certain, there's a great deal of power to, to patience, right? So what, like one, one of the, I, I can think back on my life to like little sayings that people gave to me that I was probably like ready for mature enough to hear and understand. But the moment that I heard them was like when I thought, okay, now I've just added this to my repertoire. And one of the really big ones was somebody said, don't push the river. Oh, great. Right. Yeah. So, so can you, can you talk, we talked about small steps the last time we talked, but can you talk about it in terms of how you can use that as a parent for, for yourself and also to create the family culture that you want? Right. So the, so the, the parenting in the context of parenting, it is simply first asking yourself who you, who, what kind of parent you are ideally, again, regardless of how you've been acting. And then that sets a baseline of like, okay, well, that's really who I am. And yes, I have not been living that way. So obviously there's conflict. So let me get, let me get closer to who that is. Okay. Now, how do I do that? Well, I start to small step. And by that, I mean, bringing in new behaviors and habits that allow you to become the person that you truly are. I'll use, again, that example of me walking in the door irritable. Well, one of the things that I did was, okay, if that's not me and that doesn't make me feel good, let me bring in some little steps of, for me personally, this is what I actually did, which was a little more deep breathing. And so I, I created a step on my steps list that said, I'm going to do this many deep breaths per day. One of the things I did was deep breaths in the car before I get out of the car homes. So literally in my driveway, I park the car, I turn off the key, and I do a series of deep breaths. Whether it, it could be 20 seconds. For a while, my wife would look out the window and go, what the hell is he doing out there? <laughs> but, but, it, but I'd sit there and take a few deep breaths. And that was enough most days for me to completely change my mindset when I walk in the door. That, to me, is time well spent. Um, and so any step, it, it, how I define small step is, is a new thing that you, is, a, is an action that is neither too stressful that you, it will lead to burnout or dread or not stressful enough that is sort of stagnancy. It's that nice adaptive stress window. It's, the, it's this thing that you can do, bring into your life, and in such a way that you will be able to evolve with it and then add to it at a nice pace that allows you to continue it long term. The common misconception about my approach is that it has to be somehow objectively small. It, it's not. It's whatever action can keep you in that adaptive stress window, not too much, not too little. It's like a, kind of the Goldilocks of, of, of stress. It's like right in the just right period. Meaning if you're over it, the way you've been eating and you are done yo-yo dieting and you are literally cannot do another day, your fault, small step may be to make a pretty damn, damn big change comparatively all at once because that's where you are, that you're able to handle that. But for other people who are not quite there, you know, adding you know, I always talk about a single stock of celery with your dinner. That may be your small step. But so again, it's not an objective size in the parenting realm. It is simply saying, well, I used to write a, you know, an, I was, I was a novel writer before I had kids and I, and I miss that in my life. And I, and I, and I'm kind of resentful on some level that I, that I don't write. I don't have time to, I perceive that I don't have time to write anymore. But in my first task, I write 
you know, I, I write book. I even, I, even though I have a family, I, I, I haven't let my novel go. I, I work on my novel. Well, then you can say, let me small step and say, I'm going to work on that five minutes in the morning or five minutes at night, let's say, when the kids go to bed. I'm going to write my novel five minutes a day. Five minutes. And that for somebody may be just that right thing where they're not dreading it. They're not burning out. They're not having to cause up people with the, in the family. They're not going to say, I can't spend time with you kids because I have to spend four hours writing my novel. But it brings it back into their lives and it brings it back in a way that gives them joy and minimizes their stress that I argue then says, now you can be a, even a better parent because you even have less stress in your life. That's really useful. And I, and I love the definition of small steps in that it's it's diagnostic as to whether your step was too big or too small because we're all we're all going to make mistakes one way or the other right so this is so you know if someone says well i made a small step but it wasn't big enough or it was too big like that's that's built into the into the process right that kind of feedback yeah this is the self awareness i was referring to earlier this is i've never i don't give people when i work with people i don't give people here okay here's your next small step the training is one of the th- one of the things I ask people to ask when they decide on a step they want to put in is, could you do this for the rest of your life? That's a, a question I have them ask. So in other words, if you've never exercised and you want to exercise and maybe you start, you say, well, I'm going to start with a 10 minute run every morning. You ask yourself, could I do this every day for the rest of my life? If you feel that kind of like, eh, it seems like a lot, then it's probably too big. If you go, let me just do two squats a day. Okay, that, oh yeah, I could do that for the rest of my life. That's easy. That's no problem. If, that, if that's what you're hearing you, yourself say about that, then that's an ideal first step. Two squats a day, there's no dread about it, easy to pull off. You get used to exercising every day. You start to identify yourself as somebody who exercises every day. And if at some point you think like, that's only two squats, it's really nothing, then bump it up to a 10-minute run at that point. There's no rules about it except for what you said, which is to be more in touch with how you are around that habit because we'll power through a 21-day diet or we'll power through even a parenting book and say, okay, I'm going to use these seven steps to talk to my children. And it may be too much too soon. And it's not going to do any good if you're, first of all, not authentic with it with your kids. And second of all, dreading it. And third of all, going to burn out and go back to the old ways and put them in front of an iPad because it's just too freaking exhausting because you haven't, you haven't brought it in in a way that creates long-term change around that behavior. Right. That, and that's such an important distinction because we can be extremely inauthentic around our movement and our diets and the food and the treadmill doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Right. But when, when, when we're like, I remember, you know, for, for, for a long time before I was in the health field, I was um, in sort of organization development, communications, marketing, and I would go to these conferences and someone would give a presentation on some sort of interpersonal skill that I would come home and say, wow, you know, this was amazing. I, t- I went to this workshop. From now on, I'm going to be different. I'm going to be a better listener. And like I could see everyone sort of like covering their mouth and like snorting and and exchanging glances like, oh, this is just like the last time, like this lasted for a week. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and the, you know, like the diff- if, if I just add a stalk of celery to my plate, like psychologically that can be big. But in terms of nutritional outcomes, I'm not I'm not expecting like to drop 30 pounds and get off my cholesterol meds. But when you do a little thing with your family, with another person, and you're, you're slightly more authentic and slightly more um, in integrity, I think it does have an effect that you can 
be aware of. Oh, I, I think so too. And I, and I actually think um, I, what I argue in the book is that even as a parent, if you say, forget about changing the family dynamic, you know, forget about not, we're not there yet in terms of changing what the kids are eating. But, but, but I think as you, as a parent, if you say, you know what, I'm going to create a better example, I'm going to make myself healthier and happier. So I'm going to, I'm going to do that stock of celery and your kids see that what they're going to see isn't that you've lost 21 pounds in, in, in five days. What they're going to see is that you're making an effort to improve your life and, and, and you are, and it's real and, and you're accomplishing it and you could even draw attention to it. And, and you could say, listen, you guys, you don't have to eat this stuff right now. We're, you know, we, I, I'd like you us to all eat better and we'll, we'll work on that. But right now I'm just taking care of myself because I'm, I don't want to feel bad. I want to feel good in my body and be healthy and have a lot of energy to play with you guys. And, and I think that your kids seeing that is so much more important than, look, kids, I lost 12 pounds in, in three days, but I gained it back three months later. Oh, and then I did it again. And then I gained that back and et cetera, et cetera. I think there's ways to that benefit everybody, including you, to do this in, in, a, in a more uh, intelligent fashion. Yeah. Now, there's people that I coach who are afraid to take any step because of the fear of disappointing themselves. And I'm imagining that that gets... Uh, amplified when you know your kids are watching and you don't want them to see you, oh, you know, daddy did this for three weeks and then he stopped again, like always. Um, how, how do you help people get over that, the fear of disappointing themselves? Well, that's, that's avoided in large part because of the small steps approach, which is what what will what will almost a hundred percent of the time? I mean, almost statistically, hundred percent. What will almost result in burnout is taking on too much. And so, so the if you can if you can actually bring these things in, in in a regulated way, you are minimizing significantly the chances of you failing and feeling bad about it and having your kids see that. So that's part of it. Your kids won't see dad failing after two months if dad decides that it's not going to be a two-month thing. It's going to be a lifelong thing. I'm going to start here and kind of bring it in in a way that my kids can see that. And I think that that, that, that minimizes that issue significantly. I also think that when we're in a good place in ourselves as parents, um, verbalizing with our kids, like I want my kids to know when I'm struggling. I, I really do. I, I, I don't want them to ever think that to sort of have their opinion be of me as a facade, like to not see the behind the scenes of their dad. I want them to know that I am, uh, you know, that I, that, you know, writing my book was a huge struggle, that there's fear around putting it out, you know, that I'm, that I'm nervous about what people will think about it. You know, that these are real things for me as a human, I'm still like just a guy, you know, and, 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 and I want them to see the struggles that I have with food. Oftentimes they'll say, you know, hey, do you want one of these cookies? And I'll be like, I really don't. And they're like, why not? And I go, because I just, I just, I really don't want it. And it's hard for me because it's super tempting, but I just, I really don't want it. I mean, I will verbalize it just like that because I want them to know that it's not just a, boy, dad is just perfectly disciplined and he just doesn't want that and he won't have it. There is internal struggle that I want them to be aware of because I want them to see that in spite of that struggle and fear and nervousness and anxiety, for the most part, I still take on action that, that is, more beneficial, you know, more, uh, sorry, a, a better expression of who I am. I want them to see the struggle there. Um, what I talk about with them and, and with people in the podcast is, you know, for years I was a, a musician and I 
was terrified to get on stage every single time I got on stage. And yet every single time I got on stage, I never thought that the fear would go away. I didn't try to make it go away in a way. I just figured on how to, I, to get myself on stage. And once I got on stage, I was fine. But there was never a show where I was not terrified to get on stage. And I did. I lived my life in spite of that. I think that's a better uh, lesson for my children than than sort of them thinking that I wasn't nervous in the first place uh, to get on stage and that they've somehow failed because they are. I want them to know how to move through it. Right. That reminds me, I heard um, a podcast with uh, Tal Ben-Shahar of Harvard who cited some research on the difference between serial procrastinators and everyone else is that serial procrastinators have an idea that they have to feel like doing something before they can do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, right? And I think there's a, a weird split in the human species that is amplified in the modern world, which is that we have this, in terms of food, we have these cravings, and yet we know better. And that, and and so in the in nature, maybe we would crave something, we would, and maybe it would be a, 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 a true craving, like in terms of we need this food. I'm craving this thing, and I'm going to eat it because I have some sort of nutritional need et cetera, et cetera. And we, in, in the modern world now, we call that listening to our bodies, which is for me a, a whole bunch of crap. I, I just don't like that because I've been told, oh, I crave Ben and Jerry's. I, I just listen to my body. It means I must need calcium. You know, it's literally been told that. And so I think that we, to, to survive and thrive in the modern world, we have to tip the scales a little bit more to what we know um, rather than what we feel. And I think that that if we rely on what we feel in the moment, man, it's just too easy to eat unhealthy food. It's just too easy to to not exercise because we don't have to. I mean, we don't have to do all this kind of stuff. So um, it takes attention and it takes you know intention and to 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 thrive. How how has, if at all, your your parenting changed since you started working on the book? Um, just pure awareness of me as a parent. I mean, that pure awareness of my ability to handle stress, which is, is, is coming. I mean, last year, I think I had started the book, but I at least had it formulated where I knew that, I mean, I kind of had it all pretty much laid out. But one time my daughter, now she's eight, my eight year old twins, but she was seven at the time. And she literally told me one day, uh, kind of broke my heart, but she goes, you know, sometimes when I, she, this is how she said, she goes, sometimes I'm talking to you and telling you something and you're, you, you, you are listening to me, but it seems like you're not really listening to me. This is what she said. And uh, first of all, I was like, holy crap, because that's pretty astute. Um, and, and then I was like, holy crap, she's 100% right. So I was sort of, there would be times where I'd be like thinking about something or, you know, formulating or, you know, whatever. And I would sort of be phoning it in. I'd be sort of nodding my head. But she's not. She knows. And I was like, I never want that to happen ever again, ever ever. I totally was not okay by, by me. Now I could beat myself up about it and say I'm a crappy person, or I could say that is just simply not who I am at all. And so now I'm going to make sure that that never happens again. Or if it does, it's so minimal that it's not, it's not, there's no big, huge consequence to that. So what it meant was two things. One is I made efforts to be more present. And actually, if I'm going to listen to her, really listen to her or be better about as a, as a parent, be strong enough to say, if she's telling me something, wait, hold on. I want to hear what you have to say, but I'm in the middle of this thing. I will be back in, in five minutes. The middle ground doesn't work for me. The middle ground was not who I was. The middle ground of nodding my head and going, uh-huh. Yeah. But not actually listening. That's not okay by me because she was, she's smart enough to go. 
she knows she could just tell. I think kids are very, very astute and very, very aware. And she was, thank God, um, strong enough to say, listen, it doesn't sound like you're freaking listening to me. And it broke my heart at the moment, but it also gave me a really good uh, opportunity to also be strong enough to say, I'm sorry about that. And I don't want that to ever happen again. And then take steps to make that change. So that's a great example of what feels to me to be a huge shift. And if I think about myself and like I said, I'll suddenly say, well, now I'm going to be present from now on. That's like me saying, OK, now I'm going to be the Dalai Lama. <laughs> yeah. Like, So were, were there small steps that you consciously went through or was it just like this this giant shift that you felt like you had complete control over? Oh, no, absolutely small steps. I mean, one of them was the deep breathing. One of them was being more. Uh, being more efficient at work. So one of them, one of the things was uh, less social media, checking my email, you know, on occasion rather than every freaking five seconds. And that goes for being at home too. Uh, putting my phone down when I got home. You know, I mean, that was part, I, I, when I didn't beat myself up over it, I was able to look at it a little more objectively, a little more with a little more perspective and say, okay, really what are the circumstances around this behavior? Because to me, if I just wallowed in how much of an asshole I am, then I get nothing done about that. But if I say, okay, well, that happened. Why did that happen? What, what is so important that I am not able to listen to my daughter? And if there is something that important, how am I not, why was I not able to say, hey, listen, just hold on one second. I will absolutely listen to you, but just give me, you know, get, let me finish this thing up. What was missing? And then I took the small steps. One was putting down my phone. I mean, really making an effort to say, okay, when I come in the door, phone goes on the counter. That, that was a, an actual thing consciously that I decided to do. The deep breaths in the car, a conscious thing that I was able to decide to do. But that is reliant on me being conscious enough to make those decisions. And that was the, the you know, that again, that's the inspiration of the book is how do we build in more consciousness and awareness so we can negotiate this crazy world better? We do that by creating moments where we can say, what is going on here? I, I, I just want parents to have a moment to ask that question before everything else comes flooding, flooding in and, and next thing you know, they're behaving in ways they don't feel good about. Another really nice thing about parenting is like your food doesn't get any better at communicating with you. Like the, the slice of pizza that you're sneaking is going to be just as dumb and mute as it was the first time you had it. But your kids can raise your awareness, like your story of your, of your seven year, then seven-year-old daughter saying that to you. So is, is there a way to kind of work in partnership to get your kids to give you the right kind of, of feedback that allows you to grow? I believe that to be absolutely true. And I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it's going to be dependent on your openness to asking that question. Um, and I, on occasion will ask my question, ask my kids, you know, like, are we doing okay? You know, cause, cause that's a really horrible, it's, it makes me fearful even to talk about it here. You know, like you don't want to hear, it's like going to your boss and going, am I doing a good job? And your boss is like, yeah, no, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so, and so, you know, to ask your kids like are, and I always tell my kids, like, I just, I just want you guys to be happy and, and healthy. I don't care that you become a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. Like, I don't have any particular wishes for you in that regard. I don't talk like that. I'm more, more <laughs> anyway, but I, but I say, you know, <clears throat> I just want you guys to be happy and healthy. And so your mom and I want, want that for you guys. And if there's stuff that we could be doing better, you know, let us know. I think that kids are really good about that. And I think that, um, that kids can say, well, you know, sometimes 
you know, you lose your temper or sometimes you, you know, you're too busy with, you know, you're vid- making videos and you're not paying enough attention to us. They haven't said that, thank God, but that, but it, but it certainly is what to your point, which is that because I have children and, and, and my wife Lisa, and because those are of supreme importance to me in my life, it certainly does add the, 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 it helps me formulate how much I'm going to get into whatever I get into. So in other words, when I trained for my first ultra marathon, I didn't go, okay, well, I need to run five hours a day. So I'm just going to run five hours a day. Screw my family. I thought, well, how do I do this and maintain my family life? Because that's important to me. I, I looked at the, at the context of my entire life and said, okay, how can I fit this in in a way that doesn't, that doesn't upset the general balance about this. I think I can apply this to food too. People want to eat better. But if you don't say, well, how can I start eating better and not cause huge upset and a bunch of conflict in my life? Okay, well, then it means that I've got to do it this much this way for now and build on to that, you know, in the future. But that's the, you know, you got to look broad and say, the fam- my family's really important. So if I do videos, because I love doing my YouTube videos, but I'm going to do that every day, no, because then I can't have the family life that I want to have, you know? And so I was, it, it does help me regulate the different areas of my life and make sure that everything is kind of kept in a good, a good balance overall. So you, you told me earlier that I asked an excellent question. So I'm, I'm going to do a question that I hate when I hear other podcasters do it, Okay. which is, is there anything you wish I'd asked that I hadn't? No, because I think you, I think you, you know, I mean, you've got the, the, you've got the general thing in the book, you know, and I, and I think that I just want to make sure that people don't think, and this isn't about selling the book or, at all. It's really an, an approach to health and happiness. I don't want them. It, it likewise, I guess the analogy is I don't necessarily tell people like you have to eat this, this, and this. I want people to get to the point where they are in a place where they can, can start to eat the way that they want to eat. And of course I have an opinion about food, of course, but if I just tell, and with my kids, if I just say eat this, this, and this, and there's no context to that, then they're either going to do it just because I told them to, or they're going to do the opposite of what I told them to do and and rebel. And I don't like either of those models. What I'm trying to do with my children and also with clients is to, is to build in enough awareness in their own lives and, and teach them the tools to find time to, to think for crying out loud. And that means maybe five minutes less of watching the news every day or looking at, looking at your phone, you know, the CNN.com on your phone every day. If you can grab five minutes, then all of a sudden you've got some thinking time there that you can use in a hugely profound way that, that makes you literally changes your life starting now, not overnight, but it starts to make changes in your life right away. Same thing with my kids. It's like, I just want people to know, I'm not saying talk to your kids this way to get them to do homework. I'm saying, it's about you as a parent making yourself healthy and happy and then creating that kind of example and enabling you to implement whatever parenting style you want with your kids. But it's not a parenting book per se. All right. Well, you're, you're giving people a compass, teaching them how to use it and how to tell when they're on and off course. That's it. That's, ex- that's exactly right. Now, there's some practical stuff in the book. There's recipes in the book, but they're not – recipes here eat this way so much as they are if you want to minimize time in the kitchen and you feel overwhelmed with meal prep here's a, here's some tools that allow you to simplify that in a huge way that I use at home too that enables me to hang out with my kids more <laughs> you know and so and and like for breakfast like I tell people like well, I have three kids but every morning with little exception 
we have about 15 minutes before we leave the school where we're literally all hanging out in, in the in the living room. We're hanging out. There's no rushing. There's no panic. There's, oh my God, get your bags. There's no, like we're literally sitting around and chatting for 15 minutes because I just make a smoothie for the, all the kids in the morning, fruit and water that takes me five minutes to make and maximizes the time that I have with my kids before they go to school. These are real things for me. These are, and if you even if you don't have kids, those kinds of simplifications that buy you more time for whatever you want to do, for me, it's for me, it's hanging out with my kids and my wife, but for somebody else, it can be writing that novel. To me, huge, major. And we can do it, but we've got to know the tools to be able to pull that off. Right. And, and the, the ROI of five minutes of awareness is phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I always joke like, I love five minutes. Like, I love five minutes. There, so, you know Louis C.K., the comedian? Yeah. Yeah, so he had the first first joke I ever heard of Louis C.K., and this is, not, this is not a joke, he said, the moment that you put your kids in the car seat and buckle them in, close the door, and the moment, that time that you walk from their, closing their door around the car to your door is like a <laughs> carnival cruise. And, yes. and I thought, and I, told, I remember telling Lisa, like, I just saw this comedian, I had no idea who he was, I go, and I told her that joke, and I was like, we had twins at the time, right? So this is like probably eight years ago. And we, I would buckle them in, two of them, and I would buckle them in, and I'd walk around, and there, before I heard this joke, there were moments where before I got in the car, I'd go, oh. Like I would just have a moment of peace where the kids were safe, they couldn't get in anything, and I just had this kind of moment, and he capitalized on that. He nailed it. But that's when I realized like there is power in these moments when we take them. And if we and if we use that time to walk around the car and think about all the shit that we have to get done still, we lose that moment where we could take a few deep breaths and maybe be thankful about a few things, you know, before we before the the, the thing starts again. But we've got to know how to look for those moments and 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 value them that they are real. Five minutes does make a difference. Right. And- and and not to totally undercut what you just said, but my my daughter, who's the older child, her nickname from six months on was Houdini, and her car seat required three vice grips. <laughs> so, so I'm I'm I'm, uh, I'm, I'm I'm sort of theoretically understanding what you're saying about that one. <laughs> yeah, you probably should have just put her in a straitjacket uh, because it would have saved the vice grips. But because yeah, those are expensive, but man, she, she was she could wriggle out of that thing. Yeah. And, you know, and all the like I, I still see in my kids the, you know, the echoes of all the things that drove me crazy when they were little that now I see as tremendous strengths. Yeah, yeah. Like, right. You know, right. All, the, all that spiritedness, all the stuff that I wished they weren't. Like, you know, now I look at them being confident in the world, being able to stand up for themselves, being able to not take shit from employers or, or semi friends. And thinking, yeah, you know, they were practicing all that with me when they were before they could talk. Yeah, that's right. And the thing is, is, I mean, you think I think you I think, you know, our kids get to a certain age where, you know, they make decisions that probably aren't much about us. But I think that if you can look at your kids and see that they're negotiating the world, I think you obviously did a lot of things right. And, and again, when you have that kind of perspective, when you get past it, sort of beating myself up for the one off mistakes or, or even a series of mistakes, you can also say, like, they saw that. I mean, I would argue without ever talking to your kids, you know, they probably saw their father on some level as being passionate and being principled. And I think that that it's not it's not, you know, black or white. You by by even you wanting to shift the entire family all at once, 
maybe that wasn't the best implementation and maybe it caused upset, but maybe now as adults, they look back and say, man, he was, you know, you were, you weren't doing it to make them less healthy. You were doing it because you had knowledge and you thought this is better for them. And I think that, um, you know, having some moments of, of pause to look back and say, yeah, I actually, it's not a bad thing that I was that passionate. I, I maybe I could have done it better. And I, I'm very open in the book. Like, there are things I'm screwing up with right now. I just don't even know. I, some things I know, some things I don't know. And I'm sure I'm going to find out in 20 years, I'm going to say, you know, you used to do this and it pissed me off. And, and I'll be like, yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> you know, but if right. my, inten- my intention is true. And that's why I really want them to understand that for Lisa and I, for Lisa and me, um, I want them to understand that our struggles as parents are there. We're, we don't think we're perfect parents, but we definitely have ideas of how we want to be. And I want them to know that we struggled to try to achieve that the best way we can and that the mistakes were not because we were bad parents, but because we just didn't know everything and, and no parent ever does. Right. I, w- I want to say two things about that, which have come to me in whatever wisdom I've acquired since being a parent of young children. And one is what a tremendous gift it is for your kids to know, really know that you're a screw up as a parent. Yeah. That, you know, because there's a, there's a lot of evidence like kids would, if you're, if, if they feel like unloved at some point or unpaid attention to the last thing they can, they want to think is that their parent is flawed somehow. They, so they'll, they'd rather think it's their problem mm-hmm. that I was unlovable or I was too tough. Because the thought that your parent is flawed means that you're in danger of death because this person who's taking care of me, whom I rely upon for my survival, is faulty. Mm-hmm. And so to be able to like give that to them, that, yeah, you know, I screw up a lot. There's such a, a liberation in the kid to say, oh, yeah, it wasn't me. Even if, you know, even if there's some resentment of it, I think the, the larger good is served by that. Oh, I think, I think, I think so. I mean, hundred percent. I think so. I think that, that, uh, you know, when you, when my kids, cause they, they don't just think I'm a screw up. What I don't think they think that maybe they do. That would be horrible. But I think I, I want, at least I'll say this. I want them to have an idea that I am for, way not perfect and also struggling, but more importantly, in spite of that struggle, have a very clear idea about who I want to be and a very clear idea about who I am as a parent. I want them to know that the values and standards and principles of, 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 of Lisa and me are our are, are, are goals every day and every minute. Whether we meet them every minute or not is sort of inconsequential for the most part because we try to meet it most of the time. But I want them to know that we're, we're shooting for that so that when we don't, I want to be strong enough to say, I'm sorry that I missed the mark that day. I should have done this differently because that's who I, you know, more I I wanted, I would have rather have done it this way. I want them to see that, that, that always there's a clear, there's a clear goal. Always there's a clear place that I want to go. And I want them to know where I want to go so that they, they can see when I'm struggling that it's not because of ineptness or because of malintent. It's because it's just life in the modern world. We have to go through this kind of crap. Yeah. And if there's one, you know, one thing I want to say to my young parent self that I've that I've come to believe and I feel is is would have been really helpful to know at the time is that I don't owe my children a perfect childhood. Like part of part of the problem was the demand that I put on myself. And when I think about, you know, my life, like my parents were far from perfect and a lot of their imperfections have turned out to create struggles in me that have been gifts. 
Like the things that I've had to overcome make me a better coach, a better partner, a better parent, a better person than if I just, if they had just been perfect. And I had this really simple, easy, no struggle life. And, you know, not that I'm trying to screw my kids up, but that I'm going to do it inevitably. And it's not a problem. Yeah. It's sort of <laughs> you know take, what I mean, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I deal with the, the concept of perfection all the time. I don't even know what a perfect childhood would be. Uh, I don't even know what that, I don't even know what a perfect parent would be. I, I say in the book, it's like, if you think being a robot and never making mistakes is perfect, you got another thing coming. I mean, there's a human condition, which is that we, we are struggling with, well, the human condition in the modern world is that we're struggling with a very unnatural world that we made ourselves, but it's very hard to negotiate. We have a lot of fe- – I, I read the news and find out what happens in you – know, some horrific thing happens in a school you know, in Connecticut. And then I brought my kids off at school the next day, and I have that fear in me. Those, those are very weird things to have to negotiate that just dropping your kids off at school elicits a fear – you know, a dread in me. And – it's very hard to to negotiate all that. I don't know what a perfect childhood would be. I don't know what a perfect parent would be. I do know that striving to be the kind of parent that behaves in a way that is based on my values and standards is something that I always want to be for my kids and and let them know that that it, it's just not going to happen 100% of the time and neither are they when they're parents. I hope that they improve on the things that I came up short on because that means that I've given them the tools of self-reflection and in general reflection to say, yeah, I, I kind of want to do this thing better and not to just continue the cycle, whatever that is that I'm doing and also that I'm doing it minimally, you know, that I'm not causing them any kind of damage. Um, you know, it, again, it's like, what do you really want to do as a parent? Do you want to create some facade of perfection where you it's like an, it's like it's like married couples that say they never argue i'm just like what kind of world first of all that's insane and second of all how is that some sort of perfection that means you don't even relate if you don't argue living with somebody 24 hours a day in the same house and sharing things and you don't ever get into an argument chances are you're not relating and how is that a perfect a perfect thing anyway argument is part of a perfect to me arguing is part of a perfect marriage why because it's real, it's inevitable, and gives us the opportunity to say, how do we resolve this argument? I, want, I don't want my kids to think that my wife and I never argue. I want them to see us argue and see us get past it. That, to me, is way more important as a parent than being, them thinking, my parents never argued. They had the perfect, so-called perfect relationship. It's a facade. Right. Yeah, my parents never argued, but sometimes they wouldn't speak to each other for five days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, that's better than arguing and getting past it and saying, I'm sorry, I screwed up, let me move on. You know, which 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 really is better for most people. I mean, really. <laughs> right. And the other thing I'll, 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 I'll say as we as we wrap up is that, you know, it's it's clear that you are really in integrity in this um, in this effort to to hold yourself accountable and, and be part, accountable as part of a family because you've just written this book that's like gives your children this perfect ammunition <laughs> when they start looking at it to go through it and like beat you up with it. Yeah, yeah, totally. They're going to be like, see, I now I know all the things you did wrong because of the, you know, and, and the thing is, is I hope that I've also given myself enough. Uh, I guess in writing this book and, and the way that I wrote it was even if they read it, they could go, oh, cool. You know, I, I, my ideals, they read it as an adult and go, yeah, Lisa, Lisa, you know, my, my mom and dad did the, they were really trying to do the best they could. They, they missed the mark in some ways, but man, it wasn't because of bad intention. They were working their asses off to maintain a low stress 
uh, lifestyle as much as possible for us and give us the tools to, to, to chase whatever we want to chase in our lives. And I, I, at baseline, if they get that from our parenting, then I think we've succeeded. Excellent. So, uh, let's, let's sell the book now. Tell people what it's called, where they can get it. They can get it everywhere. Um, stores, hard copy in stores and, and obviously on Amazon and Powell's and Barnes and Noble and everything else. Um, raising healthy parents, small steps, less stress and a thriving family. And, um, yeah, the first half is philosophy. The second half is reality. It's not set up into chapters. It's a quick pick up the book and grab a few pages when you have time. I realized when I was researching, I was like, the last thing a parent's going to do is read some dry, laborious book there. You know, we don't have time in the first place. So I try to make it fun and, and even humorous, but also it's obviously a very serious subject for me. Um, so that's everywhere. And, um, yeah, otherwise they can find me, SidGarzaHillman.com, and you can from there get to everywhere, and then my podcast videos, everything else, and then SmallSteppers.com is my 12-week program that that teach, teaches people my system, and I launched that a few months ago, and that's going really well. And so, yeah, that's that. Those are the basic two places. Awesome. Those will be in the show notes. The link, uh, link to the book, link to SidGarzaHillman.com and SmallSteppers.com. And Sid, it is always a pleasure to to chat with you. Um, I just, my only regret is we didn't have this conversation 21 years ago. The- yeah, I would have been a lot younger then, and it would have been a very different, we probably would have been smoking cigarettes. I don't even know what would have happened, Howard, so it's probably best that we did this now. Uh, good point. <laughs> Sid, thanks so much for the time and for all the work you do to, uh, to create a, uh, a world in which we can all be more natural. Likewise, Howard. And I, if, if, it, if I have to just keep writing books to be able to um, hang out with you, then, then that's how it goes. Well, if I keep having to screw up to hang out with you, then that's how it goes. Win-win. <laughs> so, there we go. <laughs> All right, thanks a lot, Howard. Catch you later. If you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. For more info on the Big Change Program, led by me and Josh Lajani, visit BigChangeProgram.com and be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode with links to all of Sid's good work at PlantYourself.com slash 241. If you're new to the show, you can catch up on 240 archived episodes over at PlantYourself.com. And if you get the podcast but not the Big Change Bulldog, you can sign up for that at PlantYourself.com as well. If the Plant Yourself podcast has been a valuable part of your life and you'd like to help support the mission, there's a bunch of ways to do it. As I mentioned, you can write that review on iTunes. You can become a patron of the show and help support us financially. And you can just share it. Share it on social media. Let other folks know about it. You know, in a numbers-driven world, the more downloads the uh, podcast gets, the more different types of guests are interested in appearing on it. And they would view it as a good use of their time to reach larger and larger audiences. So all of those ways are really, really helpful. So it's that time of year where there's almost no garden news. The garden is huddling under rows of cover cloth as the temperatures are dipping into the 30s in the morning. So I'm having to go out and crack the ice on the top of my five-gallon ice bucket before I pour it over myself. And there's not much running news to report either, except that I did sign up for the Baton Rouge Marathon coming up in mid-January. So if you're planning on running that, come up and say hello. And now it's time for the special Thanksgiving edition of the Thanksgiving that I do every single week to all the people who make this possible. There's Will Ridenour, musician extraordinaire, who allows me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace, as the theme music for this show. 
Check out willridenour.com for more of his Cora music. And of course, thanks to all you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. I got a new one this week, so let's see how many breaths it takes me. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Mara, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jean Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Aaron, Jennifer Knopsky, David Bysak, the Mysterious Michelle X, Elizabeth Felton, Victoria Dolman, Ovalia Strola, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrew, Josine, Julianne Rowland, Stu Dolnick, Sarah Durkis, Ranzo Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Bronzek, Jeanette Bedham, Gillis, Sarah David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Dorona Visa. <sighs> Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Ruth Ann Funderburg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, the equally mysterious Tracy Z, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, Stephanie Holmes, Martha Bergner, Nicole Ramsey, Susan Ahmad, Molly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R. Susan Laverty, the Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Sharp, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Ashley Corcoran, Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch, of Plant Happy Oregon, Sabine Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Therese Copel, Shell Rutledge, Julian Watkin, Breed O'Connell, Brian Sheridan, Shannon Hurst. Oh, Shannon Hirschman, Kate Rose, Linda Ayat, Julie Lang, Holm Hedegaard, Isa Tuzinwa, Colleen Hainline, L. Aaron Greer, and Alicia Davis for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for this episode. Until next time, be well, my friends. <laughs>